Welcome to Haunted Grove, the podcast that brings you the darkest, most spine-tingling stories from the world of the unknown. If you're a fan of cryptic tales, paranormal events, and unexplained mysteries, then you're in the right place. Each week, we'll take you on a journey into the shadows, exploring the macabre, the supernatural, and the downright terrifying. Our team of expert storytellers will guide you through tales of ghosts, monsters, haunted places, and more. But be warned, these stories are not for the faint of heart. They may keep you up at night, make you check under your bed, or have you looking over your shoulder. So, buckle up, listeners, and get ready to journey into the mysterious and macabre with Haunted Grove. Let's dive in. Rebirth The sun dipped below the horizon, casting an eerie darkness over the sleepy town of Morley. The wind whispered through the trees, sending shivers down the spines of anyone who dared walk the deserted streets. A faint fog rolled in, adding to the sinister atmosphere that enveloped the town. Dr. Frederick Sinclair, a reclusive scientist, had spent months locked away in his laboratory on the outskirts of Morley, working on a secret project. The townsfolk had grown increasingly suspicious of the strange sounds and unnatural lights emanating from the decrepit mansion he called home. Tonight, however, Dr. Sinclair's efforts would finally bear fruit. He had discovered the secret to life itself and would soon unveil his creation, a new form of life crafted from the very essence of death. The inspiration came from an old manuscript he had found, detailing the tragic story of a scientist named Victor Frankenstein. In the depths of his lab, Dr. Sinclair's creation lay on an operating table, lifeless and still. It was a grotesque sight, pieced together from the remains of multiple bodies procured from the local cemetery. The doctor was a meticulous craftsman, ensuring that each body part was carefully stitched together to create a cohesive whole. But now, all that remained was to bring life to the lifeless. The clock struck midnight, and a storm began to brew outside. The wind howled, and the rain beat against the windows of the lab. The doctor could not have asked for a more perfect night. With every flash of lightning, the room filled with a ghostly glow, illuminating the creature lying on the table. The time had come. Dr. Sinclair stood before an array of switches and levers, his eyes gleaming with excitement. He pulled down a lever, and the room erupted with a cacophony of mechanical sounds. Electricity surged through the air, and the creature's body began to twitch and convulse. The doctor watched in amazement as his creation took its first breath. Its eyes fluttered open, and it looked around the room in confusion. The creature was alive, and the doctor's heart swelled with pride. He had done the unthinkable, he had conquered death itself. As the creature attempted to rise from the table, it was met with the weight of the chains that bound it. It roared in frustration, straining against its restraints. Dr. Sinclair approached cautiously, admiring his handiwork. The creature's unnatural strength was impressive, but it was not enough to break free. Easy now, the doctor whispered soothingly. You are my creation, and I am your master. I brought you into this world, and I will guide you. The creature's eyes locked onto Dr. Sinclair, and a flicker of understanding crossed its face. It ceased its struggling and lay still on the table, waiting for its master's next command. As the night wore on, Dr. Sinclair began to teach the creature the basics of language and movement. The doctor marveled at the speed with which his creation learned, but he was also aware of the danger it posed. The creature was powerful, and it was essential to keep it under control. Unbeknownst to Dr. Sinclair, however, the story of his secret project had not gone unnoticed. The townsfolk had grown increasingly fearful of the strange occurrences surrounding the doctor's mansion, and they had decided to take matters into their own hands. A mob had gathered outside the gates, armed with torches and pitchforks. The angry shouts of the townspeople carried through the night, 
demanding that the doctor reveal the source of the disturbances. The wind carried their voices into the laboratory, and Dr. Sinclair's heart filled with dread. If they discovered his creation, everything he had worked for would be destroyed. Stay here, he commanded the creature, as he raced upstairs to confront the mob. The creature, obedient to its master, remained motionless on the table, its eyes following the doctor as he disappeared from sight. Outside, Dr. Sinclair tried to reason with the townspeople, assuring them that his experiments were for the betterment of humanity. But fear had taken hold of their hearts, and they refused to listen. The mob surged forward, and the doctor was forced to retreat back into his laboratory. As the angry townspeople stormed the mansion, the doctor realized that his only hope was to release his creation. He knew the risks, but he also knew the immense power it possessed. With the creature by his side, they might stand a chance against the mob. Dr. Sinclair hurried back to the lab and released the creature from its chains. I need your help, he implored. Together, we will face the angry mob and show them the true potential of my work. The creature nodded, its eyes filled with determination. It followed the doctor through the mansion, and they prepared to confront the townspeople. Outside, the mob had grown even more enraged, setting fire to the mansion's exterior. The flames licked at the walls, threatening to engulf the entire building. The doctor and the creature emerged, standing side by side, ready to face the onslaught. The townspeople gasped in horror as they beheld the monstrous figure that towered over them. The creature roared, displaying its formidable strength as it easily tossed aside any obstacles in its path. Panic spread through the mob, and they began to scatter, realizing they were no match for the doctor's creation. Dr. Sinclair and the creature fought their way through the mob, trying to protect the lab and the secrets it held. But as the flames spread, it became clear that the mansion would soon be reduced to ashes. The doctor's heart ached at the loss of his life's work, but he knew there was no other choice. With a heavy heart, Dr. Sinclair decided that they must flee the burning mansion and start anew. He led the creature away from the chaos, and they disappeared into the night, leaving the town of Morley to face the consequences of their actions. The next day, as the townspeople surveyed the smoldering ruins of the mansion, they whispered about the horrors they had witnessed. The story of Dr. Sinclair and his monstrous creation spread like wildfire, and the town was forever haunted by the chilling events of that fateful night. As for Dr. Sinclair and his creation, they wandered the countryside, seeking refuge from the world that had rejected them. They were bound by their shared secret, the knowledge of life and death, and the darkness that had been unleashed. The doctor had achieved his ultimate goal, but at what cost? For in his quest to conquer death, Dr. Sinclair had also unleashed a terrifying force upon the world, a force that could not be easily controlled or contained. And as the two figures disappeared into the darkness, the true horror of their existence became chillingly clear, for there are some secrets that are better left buried, and some creations that are better left unmade. Space Odyssey The night was dark and cold as Dr. Amelia Hart, a renowned astrophysicist, arrived at the abandoned observatory at the edge of the world. The crumbling structure was once a symbol of humanity's ambitious pursuit of the cosmos, but now it was a mere ghost of its former glory. Amelia had been drawn here by a mysterious radio transmission she had intercepted. It came from the depths of the universe and was a riddle, a cosmic melody that beckoned to be solved. As she entered the observatory, the wind hauled outside, shaking the ancient walls. Her footsteps echoed through the abandoned halls, a chilling reminder that she was alone in the darkness. But it was the emptiness that intrigued her, the darkness that represented the unknown, the vastness of the universe that had yet to be explored. Emilia had dedicated her life to the pursuit of the unknown, and she believed the radio transmission held the key to unlocking its secrets. Deep within the observatory, Emilia found the control room, 
still filled with dusty equipment and the lingering scent of stale coffee. She set up her gear and began to analyze the mysterious transmission. The message seemed to come from a distant star system, its source shrouded in darkness and hidden from human understanding. The more she listened, the more she became entranced by the eerie melody. Hours passed as Amelia delved deeper into the transmission, decoding its hidden patterns and rhythms. She eventually discovered a set of coordinates, a precise location in the far reaches of the cosmos. The message, it seemed, was an invitation. Or perhaps, it was a warning. Unable to resist the pull of the mysterious message, Amelia began preparations for a daring expedition into the unknown. She would need a spacecraft, a crew, and a way to navigate the treacherous void between the stars. It took months, but she eventually assembled a team of like-minded individuals, each driven by the same insatiable curiosity that had consumed her. The vessel they had christened Icarus lifted off from Earth, bound for the distant coordinates hidden within the transmission. As they journeyed through the cosmos, the crew was beset by strange and unnerving phenomena. Time seemed to warp and stretch around them, and their dreams were plagued by nightmarish visions of vast, cosmic beings lurking in the darkness. Upon reaching their destination, they found themselves in orbit around a dead, barren planet. The crew descended to the surface, eager to uncover the secrets of the message. But what they discovered was not what they had expected. Instead of enlightenment, they found the remains of an ancient civilization, swallowed by the void and left to wither in the darkness. As they explored the ruins, they began to realize the true nature of the message. It was not an invitation, but a cautionary tale. The beings that had once inhabited this world had reached too far, delved too deep into the cosmic secrets, and had been consumed by the very darkness they sought to understand. In the final hours of their doomed expedition, Amelia and her crew began to understand the terrible price of their curiosity. As the darkness closed in around them, they could hear the whispers of the void, the voices of the cosmic beings that dwelled within the abyss. They had not discovered the secrets of the universe, they had become a part of them. The Icarus vanished into the darkness, lost forever to the cold embrace of the void. On Earth, the abandoned observatory continued to stand as a monument to humanity's insatiable curiosity and the hubris that had led them to the edge of oblivion. The wind howled through its empty halls, carrying with it the echoes of the lost souls who had dared to venture into the abyss. Years passed, and the story of Amelia Hart and her ill-fated crew became a cautionary tale whispered among the scientific community. The abandoned observatory was left to the elements, a forgotten relic of humanity's overreaching ambition. But the message they had discovered, the haunting melody from the depths of space, remained an enigma, a siren call to those who would dare to unravel the mysteries of the cosmos. And so, the cycle began anew. In the shadows of the observatory, a new generation of dreamers and explorers gathered, seeking the answers that had eluded their predecessors. They were drawn together by the same insatiable curiosity, the same desire to venture into the darkness and uncover the secrets hidden within. As the explorers delved deeper into the message, they began to notice unsettling changes within themselves. They were plagued by nightmares, their sleep filled with visions of dark, incomprehensible beings that dwelled in the void between the stars. Their waking hours were consumed by a growing obsession with the message and the truths it promised to reveal. The darkness that had claimed Amelia Hart and her crew had not been vanquished, it had merely retreated, biding its time until it could once again ensnare those who sought its secrets. And as the new generation of explorers fell under its spell, they too became pawns in a cosmic game that had been played since the dawn of time. One by one, the explorers were lost to the darkness. Some vanished without a trace, swallowed by the void as they pursued the secrets of the message. Others were driven mad by their obsession, consumed by the very knowledge they sought. The abandoned observatory became a haunted place, 
filled with the ghosts of those who had dared to gaze into the abyss. And so, the night grew darker, and the stars shone a little less brightly. The cosmic horror that had been awakened by the message slumbered once more, waiting for the day when another would seek its forbidden knowledge. The universe was vast and cold, and the secrets it held were not meant for mortal minds to comprehend. In the end, the darkness would always claim those who dared to venture too close, a reminder of the fragility of human ambition and the unfathomable depths of the cosmos. And the story of Amelia Hart and the countless others who had followed in her footsteps would serve as a testament to the terrible price of curiosity and the insatiable hunger of the void that lay beyond the stars. Bigfoot, the Night of Terror It was a cold, moonless night, and the air was heavy with the scent of impending rain. The atmosphere had an eerie quality, as if nature was preparing for something sinister. In the small town of Clearwood, people retreated to their homes, seeking shelter from the bitter winds that swept through the streets. Little did they know, the winds were the least of their worries. Mason Fergus, an avid fan of the Haunted Grove podcast, found solace in the macabre stories he listened to on his evening walks. They offered an escape from the monotony of small-town life. This evening, however, the unsettling atmosphere was more than just a product of his vivid imagination. As he traversed the wooded path leading to the heart of Clearwood, he couldn't shake the feeling that something was amiss. Mason's walk took him to the edge of a clearing where an abandoned cabin stood, its windows like hollow eyes staring into the darkness. The cabin had a history of strange occurrences, and Mason had heard whispers of a terrifying creature lurking nearby. Though he was skeptical, he couldn't deny the strange energy that seemed to emanate from the cabin. As he stepped closer, an unearthly hull pierced the night, sending shivers down his spine. He hesitated, torn between curiosity and the instinct to flee. Gripping his flashlight tightly, he ventured closer, his heart pounding in his chest. Within the shadows, a massive figure emerged. Mason's blood ran cold as he recognized the creature before him. Bigfoot. The beast stood over eight feet tall, its body covered in thick, matted hair. Its eyes, glowing with a predatory malice, were fixed on Mason. With a guttural roar, Bigfoot lunged towards Mason. He sprinted through the woods, the beast's footsteps thundering behind him. The stories he'd heard had not prepared him for the sheer terror he now faced. Panic gripped his every thought, each heartbeat an agonizing reminder of the impending doom that pursued him. Mason stumbled upon the town's outskirts, breathless and drenched in cold sweat. The creature was relentless, and he knew that he could not outrun it forever. Desperation clawed at his mind as he searched for a way to escape. In a last-ditch effort, he broke into the town's church, barricading the doors behind him. Silence settled over the building, and for a moment, Mason dared to hope that he had evaded the monster. His relief was short-lived. The residents of Clearwood, drawn by the commotion, began to gather outside the church. They whispered amongst themselves, fear and curiosity mingling in their eyes. It wasn't long before the creature's presence was felt once more. Bigfoot approached, shattering the fragile illusion of safety. The townspeople screamed, scattering in all directions as the beast tore through the church doors, its gaze fixated on Mason. Cornered, Mason's mind raced, searching for a way to survive. But as Bigfoot advanced, he knew there was no escape. The creature loomed over him, its breath hot and fetid as it bared its teeth. With a final, desperate plea, Mason cried out to the heavens. But his prayers went unanswered. As the beast's jaws closed around him, the darkness swallowed him whole, leaving only a chilling silence behind. The residents of Clearwood would never forget the night of terror brought upon them by Bigfoot. The town was left scarred, its once peaceful streets forever tainted by fear and grief. The horrifying events of that night would become the stuff of legend, 
whispered by generations to come. As for the old cabin in the woods, it stood as a grim reminder of the darkness that had descended upon their lives. In the years that followed, the townspeople would come to believe that the creature's appearance had been a harbinger of something far more sinister. Some claimed it was a curse, while others believed it was retribution for past misdeeds. No one could explain why Bigfoot had chosen Clearwood as its hunting ground, but one thing was certain, life in the small town would never be the same again. Mason's tragic encounter with Bigfoot inspired a new generation of listeners, drawn to the chilling tales of the unexplained. Yet, no story would ever come close to matching the sheer horror of that fateful night in Clearwood. The night when darkness descended, and the monster known as Bigfoot emerged from the shadows to claim its prey. The legend of the Clearwood Bigfoot would become a haunting tale of terror that would forever be etched into the minds of those who had witnessed it. And while the monster had seemingly vanished as mysteriously as it had appeared, an unsettling feeling lingered in the air, leaving the townspeople to wonder if the beast would ever return to claim another victim. But for now, Clearwood was left to pick up the pieces and attempt to move on from the night of terror. The whispers of the creature's existence would slowly fade into obscurity, leaving only the haunting memories and the lingering fear that the nightmare could begin anew. And so, the tale of Bigfoot and the town of Clearwood would remain a chilling reminder of the darkness that could lurk within even the most seemingly innocuous places. A darkness that could emerge without warning, leaving devastation and terror in its wake. The story of that night, and the horrifying events that unfolded, would forever be etched in the annals of horror. Horns Ignatius Martin Parrish woke up with a hangover, a headache, and horns growing out of his temples. He stumbled out of bed and stumbled to the bathroom, and there they were, two dark and twisted horns, poking out of his skull like the devil himself had taken up residence inside his head. Iggy, as he was called, had always been a bit of an oddball. He had grown up in the shadow of his older brother, Lee, the golden child of the family, the one who was destined for greatness. Iggy had always been content to fade into the background, to let Lee bask in the spotlight. But then Lee had been murdered, and the whole town had turned on Iggy, accusing him of the crime. Despite his protests of innocence, no one had believed him, and he had been shunned by everyone he had ever known. Except for his girlfriend, Marin Williams. Marin had been the love of his life, and she had stood by him through it all, even when things had gotten rough. But then, one day, she had disappeared, and Iggy had been left alone with his guilt and his grief. Now, with the horns growing out of his head, Iggy knew that something had changed. He had always suspected that there was something dark and sinister lurking inside him, waiting to be unleashed. And now, with the horns, he felt that he was finally coming into his own. He went out into the world, and people started to treat him differently. They were drawn to him, like moths to a flame. They would confess their darkest secrets to him, as if he were a priest in a confessional. And Iggy would listen, and he would smile, and he would take their sins onto himself. It wasn't long before Iggy realized that he could use his newfound power to get what he wanted. He went to the police station and demanded to be taken to see the evidence against him in his brother's murder case. When they refused, he unleashed a torrent of profanity and vitriol, and the officers caved, taking him down to the basement where the evidence was stored. It was there that Iggy found the murder weapon, hidden away in an evidence locker. He picked it up, feeling its weight in his hand, feeling the power of it. And he knew that he had found what he had been looking for. He left the police station and went to find the man who had actually killed his brother, a local drug dealer named Eric Hannity. He found Eric in a seedy bar, slumped over a table, drunk out of his mind. Iggy walked up to him, and Eric looked up at him, his eyes wide with terror. What are you? Eric whispered. I'm the devil, Iggy said, 
and he plunged the knife into Eric's chest. The other patrons of the bar screamed and ran, but Iggy didn't care. He felt alive, more alive than he had ever felt before. He had tasted blood, and it was sweet. He went home, and he slept soundly, the horns growing larger and more twisted with each passing hour. He dreamed of Marin, and he knew that she would be proud of him. The next day, Iggy went out into the world again, and he found that people were even more drawn to him than before. He went to a church, and the priest there knelt before him, begging for forgiveness for his sins. He went to a hospital, and the doctors and nurses there treated him like a king, doing everything they could to please him. But as time passed, Iggy started to feel the weight of his actions. The thrill of the kill was fading, and he was left with nothing but the guilt and shame of what he had done. He started to feel like a monster, like the devil he had claimed to be. One night, as he was walking through the deserted streets of the town, he saw Marin. She was standing on the edge of a bridge, staring down into the dark waters below. Iggy ran to her, and as he got closer, he saw the tears streaming down her face. What's wrong, he asked her. I can't do this anymore, Marin said. I can't live with the guilt of what we did. What do you mean? Iggy asked, confused. I know what you did, Iggy, Marin said. I know that you killed Eric Hannity. And I helped you cover it up. Iggy was stunned. He had never told Marin what he had done. He had kept that dark secret to himself. How did you know, he asked. Marin pointed to his horns. These are the horns of the devil, she said. They make you tell the truth, no matter how hard you try to keep it hidden. Iggy felt sick to his stomach. He had thought that the horns were a gift, a sign that he was finally in control. But now he saw them for what they were, a curse, a symbol of his own darkness. He looked at Marin, and he knew that he had to do something to make things right. He took her hand, and together they walked to the edge of the bridge. Iggy looked down into the water, and he saw the reflection of the devil staring back at him. I'm sorry, he said to Marin. I'm so sorry. And then he jumped. The horns pierced his skull as he hit the water, and he felt a surge of pain and darkness. But then, as he sank deeper and deeper into the water, he felt a sense of peace, a sense of release. He was free from the guilt and shame that had plagued him for so long. As his body drifted down the river, the horns remained, a symbol of the darkness that had consumed him. And the people of the town whispered his name, and they knew that he was the devil, the one who had brought darkness to their lives. The Autopsy Dr. Emma Miller, the coroner at the local morgue, had seen a lot of strange things during her years on the job. But the body on the table in front of her was one of the strangest yet. The body belonged to a man named Andrew Peterson, who had died under mysterious circumstances. The police suspected foul play, but so far, they had no leads. The only clue they had was a strange symbol carved into the victim's forehead. As Emma began the autopsy, she couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. The body was cold and clammy to the touch, even though it had only been in the morgue for a few hours. And there was something about the symbol on the victim's forehead that made her skin crawl. But Emma was a professional, and she pushed her unease aside as she began to cut into the body. As she worked, she noticed something strange about the victim's organs. They seemed to be in perfect condition, as if they had never been used. It was then that Emma heard a strange noise coming from the victim's throat. It sounded like a low, guttural growl, and it made her jump. What the hell, she muttered to herself, leaning in for a closer look. As she peered into the victim's throat, she saw something move. Something black and wriggling, like a mass of worms. Emma recoiled in horror, knocking over a tray of instruments. 
The sound echoed through the quiet morgue, and she realized that she was alone. She looked around nervously, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. The body was still on the table, and the strange symbol on the victim's forehead seemed to be glowing faintly. Suddenly, Emma heard a voice. It was a whisper, so quiet that she could barely make it out. Hello, Emma, the voice said. I've been waiting for you. Emma looked around frantically, but saw no one. The voice seemed to be coming from the victim's body, and it sent a chill down her spine. Who are you, she whispered, her voice trembling. I am the one who has been watching you, the voice said. I know everything about you, Emma. Your fears, your secrets, your desires. And I have a proposition for you. Emma felt a surge of fear, but also a strange sense of curiosity. She had never believed in the supernatural, but this felt different. It felt real. What proposition, she asked, her voice barely above a whisper. Join me, the voice said. Become one with me. And I will give you power beyond your wildest dreams. Emma hesitated for a moment, but then something inside her snapped. She was tired of being powerless, of being at the mercy of the world around her. If this entity could give her power, then maybe she could finally take control of her life. I'll do it, she said, her voice firm. What do I have to do? The voice chuckled, a sound that made Emma's blood run cold. All you have to do is make a sacrifice, the voice said. A life for a life. And then we will be together. Emma felt a twinge of guilt, but she pushed it aside. This was her chance for power, for control. Okay, she said. I'll do it. The voice laughed again, and then everything went dark. When Emma woke up, she was lying on the floor of the morgue. She sat up slowly, her head spinning. At first, she couldn't remember what had happened. But then the memory came flooding back, and she felt a surge of fear. She looked around the morgue, but everything seemed normal. The victim's body was still on the table, and there was no sign of the strange entity that had spoken to her. Emma tried to stand up, but her legs were weak. She stumbled and fell, hitting her head on the metal table. As she lay there, everything started to go dark again. But this time, she didn't hear the voice. Instead, she saw something. It was a vision of the sacrifice she was supposed to make. A young woman, tied up and gagged, struggling against her bonds. Emma recognized her immediately. It was the receptionist from the morgue, a young woman named Sarah who had always been kind to her. Emma felt a wave of guilt wash over her. How could she have even considered sacrificing someone for power? But the vision wasn't over yet. Emma saw herself, holding a knife, ready to make the final cut. She tried to scream, but no sound came out. She was trapped in her own mind, watching helplessly as her body carried out the gruesome act. When the vision finally faded, Emma was left shaking and covered in sweat. She knew then that she had made a terrible mistake. She had given in to her own greed and desire for power, and now she was paying the price. She stumbled to her feet and made her way to the door. As she opened it, she saw that the morgue was now dark and empty. But then she heard a noise behind her. It was the victim's body, sitting up on the table. Emma froze, unable to move as the body turned its head to look at her. And then, with a sickening crack, it twisted its neck all the way around. Emma screamed and ran out of the morgue, never looking back. She knew then that she had been in the presence of something truly evil, something beyond her understanding. From that day on, Emma was never the same. She quit her job at the morgue and moved away from the town, trying to forget what had happened. But the memory of the autopsy, and the entity that had spoken to her, stayed with her for the rest of her life. 
and she knew that she would never be truly free of its grasp. Tarp. The old abandoned house stood tall and ominous, its windows boarded up and its walls covered in ivy. The only thing that disturbed the eerie silence was the sound of the wind whistling through the trees. As the sun set, the house seemed to come alive with a sinister presence, beckoning to those brave enough to enter. Tristan had always been drawn to the supernatural, ever since he was a child. He had grown up on a diet of horror movies and ghost stories, and now, as an adult, he was always on the lookout for the next thrill. When he heard about the old house on the outskirts of town, he knew he had to investigate. He parked his car on the side of the road, his headlights illuminating the overgrown grass. He got out and approached the house, feeling a sense of unease creeping up his spine. He pushed open the front door, which creaked loudly on its hinges. The inside of the house was just as creepy as the outside. The air was stale, and the floorboards creaked underfoot. As he walked deeper into the house, Tristan felt a chill run through his body. It was as if the very walls were alive, watching his every move. He reached the living room and paused, taking in his surroundings. The room was barren, save for a large tarp that covered something in the corner. Tristan's curiosity got the better of him, and he walked over to the tarp. He hesitated for a moment before pulling it back, revealing a large mirror. Tristan was surprised. He had expected something far more sinister. But as he stared into the mirror, he felt a sense of unease wash over him. It was as if he was being watched by something lurking behind the glass. He tried to shake off the feeling and turned to leave, but as he did, he caught a glimpse of something moving in the mirror. He spun around, but there was nothing there. Tristan felt a knot form in his stomach. He knew he should leave, but his curiosity kept him rooted to the spot. He stepped closer to the mirror, peering into its depths. His reflection stared back at him, but something was off. It was as if he was looking at himself from a different angle, and his eyes seemed to glow with a malevolent light. Suddenly, the room grew colder, and Tristan's breath misted in front of him. He heard a low growling sound, and the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. He turned to leave, but the door slammed shut, trapping him inside. Tristan's heart pounded in his chest. He tried to open the door, but it wouldn't budge. He turned back to the mirror and gasped. His reflection was no longer his own. It was twisted and distorted, and its eyes glowed like hot coals. The room was filled with an unearthly light, and Tristan felt himself being pulled towards the mirror. He struggled against the force, but it was no use. He was being drawn into the mirror, into a world of darkness and terror. As Tristan fell into the mirror, he felt a sense of overwhelming dread. He was in a dark, twisted world, where the very air seemed to suffocate him. The ground was slick with blood, and the walls were lined with corpses, their eyes staring back at him with a silent accusation. Tristan knew he had to get out, but he had no idea how. He stumbled through the darkness, searching for a way back to the real world. As he walked, he heard whispers and laughter, but there was no one around. It was as if the very walls were alive, mocking him. He walked for what seemed like hours, until he finally saw a glimmer of light in the distance. He ran towards it, hoping it would lead him to safety. As he got closer, he realized that it was a small window, with sunlight streaming in from the other side. He pushed himself through the window, and he felt a sudden rush of warmth as the sunlight hit his face. He looked around, and he realized that he was back in the living room of the old house. Tristan ran to the door, but it was still locked. He turned to the mirror, and he saw his reflection staring back at him. His eyes were still glowing, but they were different now. They were filled with a sense of malevolence and hunger, as if he had been changed by his time in the mirror world. 
Tristan knew that he was trapped, that he would never be able to leave the house. He was stuck there forever, a prisoner of the mirror. As he sat in the corner, his eyes fixed on the mirror, Tristan felt a sense of resignation wash over him. He knew that he had brought this upon himself, that his curiosity had led him down a dark path. And now, he would pay the price for his folly. The tarp lay forgotten in the corner, as the house settled back into its eerie silence. And Tristan, trapped in his mirror world, watched as the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, and the months turned into years. He was a ghost in his own body, a prisoner of the mirror, doomed to spend eternity in the old abandoned house, where the walls whispered and the ghosts roamed free. And as the darkness closed in around him, Tristan knew that he had made a grave mistake, one that he would never be able to undo. Staircase The house was old and creaky, with an ominous feel to it that made my skin crawl. I had just moved in with my wife, Ava, and our ten-year-old daughter, Lily. It was a fixer-upper, but we were excited to make it our own. The staircase was the centerpiece of the house, with its winding steps and ornate banisters. It was beautiful but had a foreboding presence that made us uneasy. As we settled in, strange things started happening. We would hear footsteps in the middle of the night, but when we checked, there was no one there. Doors would slam shut, even though we knew we had closed them. Ava saw a shadowy figure at the top of the staircase, but when she went to investigate, it was gone. I tried to brush it off as our imagination running wild, but Lily was having nightmares every night. She would wake up screaming, telling us about the monster on the staircase that was trying to get her. I started to believe that something was wrong with the house, but Ava insisted that it was just our minds playing tricks on us. One night, I woke up to the sound of Lily crying. I rushed to her room and found her sitting on the floor, clutching her knees. She told me that the monster on the staircase had been in her room, and it was coming for her. I tried to reassure her, but I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. The next day, I went to the local library to research the history of the house. I found out that it had been built in the early 1900s by a wealthy family. They had a daughter named Eliza who was known for her beauty and charm. But as she got older, she began to show signs of mental illness. Her parents locked her in a room on the third floor of the house and never let her leave. She eventually died in that room, alone and forgotten. I shared my findings with Ava, and we both agreed that something needed to be done. We contacted a paranormal investigator, who told us that the house was haunted by Eliza's ghost. She had been trapped in the house for so long that her spirit was restless, and she was trying to communicate with us. The investigator performed a ritual to communicate with Eliza's ghost, and we heard her voice for the first time. She was angry and confused, not understanding why we were in her house. We tried to explain that we meant her no harm, but she wouldn't listen. As the days went on, Eliza's ghost became more and more agitated. She would slam doors and throw objects across the room. We knew we had to do something to calm her down, but we didn't know what. One night, as I was walking up the staircase, I heard her voice in my head. She was telling me to go to the third floor, to the room where she had died. I tried to resist, but the urge was too strong. I climbed the stairs and walked down the long hallway to the room at the end. It was dark, and I couldn't see anything. But I felt a presence there, and it was stronger than ever. Suddenly, I heard a whisper in my ear. Join me, it said. Join me in death. I was paralyzed with fear, but I knew I had to get out of there. I turned around to run, but I tripped on something and fell down the stairs. I tumbled all the way to the bottom, hitting my head on the banister. When I came to, I was lying at the foot of the staircase, with Ava and Lily standing over me. They helped me up, 
and I realized that my head was bleeding. We decided to leave the house that night and never come back. As we drove away, I couldn't shake the feeling that something had followed us out. I looked back at the house and saw a figure standing in the window of the room where Eliza had died. It was her ghost, and she was waving goodbye. Months went by, and we tried to forget about the house and the horrors we had experienced there. But the memory of Eliza's ghost stayed with us. Lily started to act out in school, and Ava began to have nightmares of her own. I could see the toll it was taking on all of us. One night, as we were getting ready for bed, I heard a creaking sound coming from the staircase. It was like someone was walking up the steps, one by one. I called out to Ava and Lily, but they didn't hear me. The sound got louder and louder, until it was right outside our bedroom door. I turned the knob, but the door wouldn't budge. It was like something was holding it shut. I heard a voice in my head, and I knew it was Eliza's ghost. Join me, she said again. Join me in death. I knew what I had to do. I had to face my fear and confront Eliza's ghost once and for all. I pushed against the door with all my strength and burst into the hallway. The staircase was in front of me, and I could see Eliza's ghost standing at the top. She was beckoning me to come closer, and I knew I had to go to her. I started climbing the stairs, one by one, feeling a sense of dread building inside me. As I reached the top of the staircase, I saw Eliza's ghost standing in front of me. She was beautiful and sad, with tears streaming down her face. She reached out her hand, and I took it. Suddenly, everything went black. I felt a rush of cold air, and then nothing. I was dead. The next day, the police came to our house to tell Ava and Lily that I had fallen down the stairs and died. They were devastated, and I knew it was all because of Eliza's ghost. As they packed up our things and prepared to leave the house for good, I watched from the other side. I knew that I was stuck there, just like Eliza had been. But I also knew that I was not alone. Eliza's ghost was with me, and we were both trapped in that house forever. And as we looked out the window at the world beyond, I knew that we would always be together, haunting the staircase and the house that had become our eternal home. Thank you for tuning into Haunted Grove. We hope you enjoyed today's show and we can't wait to share more with you in our next episode. Be sure to subscribe to Haunted Grove on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review to help others discover our podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.